Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Michael Kist. You caught me not listening again. Benjamin Solak. You never listen. It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 140, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine-Year Streak. Without a bad day, he is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, I need a lot of hours of my life back following all this uh, trade deadline nonsense. How you doing today, brother? Oh, come on. You didn't... I've really felt like we all bonded. Everything is delicious. And we had, you know, we were, it was, yeah, that was really disappointing. I got nothing for it. I did my best. I would have liked for something to have happened. Anything. Like the Eagles, yes. But also. Just in general. Yeah. I would have liked for anything besides the Rams selling the Akib Tlaib contract, which is fascinating, by the way. And that, and that's what that was. The only real trade to happen today was the Rams trade Akib Tlaib and a fifth-round pick to the Dolphins and a future pick. This is paying for a pick. This is the Bross Osweiler thing. Akib can't come off IR until, like, week 15, I think. They, they really just bought a fifth-round pick, which is, like, fine for the Dolphins. They want to have more swings at the plate for this rebuild that they have. But no Chris Harris Jr., no Jamal Adams, thankfully, because talks were heating up between the Cowboys and the Jets on that one. Also, the Ravens were involved in that. No A.J. Green, no Darius Slay, no Robbie Anderson, because the Jets reportedly won in a second, and I guess the best offer they got was a fourth. Right. No Von Miller, like, literally no nothing. And this, this actually, this brings us to a good point, which is, like, people said, oh, like, there were no trades because it's a seller's market. Nobody sold anything. Right. It's not a seller's market. It was it wasn't a, it a market was an at all. Inert market. It was there was no market. No <laughs> transactions occurred. And I think the um like obviously transactions did occur. They occurred before today. But I think as we were coming into today, even off of the results of yesterday with the Gennard Avery trade and with the mm. Leonard Williams trade, we were we, it seemed like there were just a lot of deals that were tabled and we were going to come back to them if we hit the deadline and nothing got better. Like I was kind of thinking to myself, all right, well, the Eagles are in talks with the Browns to potentially move Vitae and they're in talks with the Jets to potentially move for Robbie Anderson. But the Browns are talking to the Redskins about Trent Williams. That's what they're focused on. And the Jets are talking with the Cowboys and the Ravens about Jamal Adams. That's what they're focused on. So this will just happen at like at 3.30. Mm. You know, like once they know those talks are going to fall through, then, you know, the new deals are going to come in. And that just wasn't the case. And so, yes, there were like Ramsey was expensive. Sanu was expensive. Manuel Sanders was expensive. And like I, I, I hear when people say that that set up a too high of a price like, you know, like the wide receiver market, uh, somebody told Eric at home of Yahoo Sports that like the wide receiver market was just out of whack because the Patriots sent a two for Sanu, which like, like, I mean, like there's probably some truth to that, but I also just think that there was, you know, unreasonable expectations before the Sanu trade, you know right. what I mean? And so you, you do wonder, like if you're the Jets and, and Sanu goes for a two and you're like, hey, we want a two for Robbie Anderson. Didn't anybody tell you that Robbie Anderson's like measurably worse than Muhammad Sanu? Unless dependable and off-field stuff. Yeah. And yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's disappointing, but it is what it is. You know, now we, 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 we look to that and we see <sighs> with the Eagles now, it's okay, we got to get healthy. And then this was a roster that looked really good preseason. So if we're able to get healthy, then, you know, it should continue to look good on paper. 
the end of the season, right. it's a matter of execution. What do you what do you think of the trade for Gennard Avery? Let's talk about that because the Eagles send a 2021 fourth round pick for the 2018 fifth round pick, Gennard Avery from the Browns edge rushers. Right. He was second among uh, rookie defensive ends or you know pass rushers, uh, according to PFF in pressures, had 42 last year, also notched four and a half sacks. I know you're a big draft guy. I'm a big draft guy, but I didn't do a whole lot of work on Avery. Oh man, you didn't fall into the A. Avery Pitt? He was, yeah. I mean, every In like <laughs> March, a yeah. couple of us just found Jernard Avery's film. We were like, oh, shoot. Like, <laughs> this is a thing. Here's the thing with Jernard Avery. Avery was in a bad spot because Avery was the best athlete on a Memphis defense that didn't have a ton of draftable talent. I don't think anybody else in that defense was or has been drafted since. So they, uh, the Tigers put Avery at off-ball linebacker after he had previously for them bit an outside linebacker who rushed off the edge. Correct. But in 2018, in his final year, he played a lot of off-ball linebacker for them. And Avery is like, in college, 6'1", 250. So he's a stout young boy. Uh, He does not really have the traditional frame of a college middle linebacker, who they usually run closer into the 230s. They still got him in reps on the edge, and those were his best reps in college. And so accordingly, when he was drafted by the Browns in the fifth round, a value that I thought was good value for Avery's talent level. He was quite immediately put into an edge rushing role. And that, and when he started for the Browns, when he started to gain reps, it was just as a sub package rusher. And then eventually he got on the field for starts under Greg Williams. Now you're starting a 255 pound edge on the outside, i.e. like a Brandon Graham. That player needs to be of a Brandon Graham caliber strength and instincts to be stout against the run. Avery's not that. So he was a bit of a liability against the run on the outside. But the dude can rush with power. The dude is an explosive first step. He can work an inside move. And so there's a there's a significantly interesting rush profile for Gennard Avery. 4.5 sacks in 600 snaps in his first year. And he was second only to Bradley Chubb in terms of pressures out of the rookie class. This is, again, under Greg Williams. 2019 comes around. Greg Williams is out. Steve Wilkes is in. Well, Wilkes gets Avery back to off-ball linebacker, which, if you've been following the story, is what Memphis did that made him worse at football. <laughs> uh, predictably, Avery is, was not good out there. And so, yeah. Again, it's a 250-pound player trying to track running backs into space, and he does not have great movement skills. He doesn't. He's a straight-line player. That's fine on the edge. You're right. You, know, you got to be able to turn a corner, and he can. Yeah. Um. But but you you know in terms of like flipping his hips and dropping a coverage, that's just not Avery's game. And so he fell into the depths of the uh, the depth chart, as it were. He was inactive for five of the first six games of the season. He has taken two snaps on defense for the Browns, and so it made sense that they were selling him. Now, all of this to say. Actually, I should add one more thing. Yeah. And it makes sense that the Eagles are buyers because Jim Schwartz's four-man fronts are highly reminiscent of Greg Williams' four-man fronts. Avery's going to be a hand-in-the-dirt seven-tech to nine-tech. So again, wider than the tight end when he lines up. He's going to be in a tilted stance, head on the football. He's going to have a first-step get-off, and he's going to have a tackle to beat. And that is the ideal situation for Avery to be a productive player. He's probably always going to be an edge three or four. But so far, in terms of, you know, like, what the Eagles had in Vinnie Curry, they weren't exactly getting a ton out of edge three, edge four. Josh Sweat is still coming along, but he hasn't been wildly productive. So, you know, if Avery improves your edge three, edge four, that's great news. The Eagles play their guys in rotation a lot. So that's an important role for Philadelphia. Now, all of this to say, if he was drafted in the fifth round of 2018, and then he was a healthy scratch <laughs> in 2019. Yeah. How did we get to a fourth round price tag? <laughs> when, when the trade happened, I thought it was going to be a sixth or a seventh. And I saw uh, your, your right. pal, uh, John Ledyard, said the same thing. And I, I assumed that was going to be the cost. How, how did we get to a fourth? Like, right. I just want to know how that conversation went. As a fifth round pick, he wasn't like in the comp area or anything like that. He was the 13th pick in the fifth round. So middle of the fifth, fine. Even if you spent a fifth, I'd be like, mm, okay. Right. It's like, yeah, it's like, do I care that much about the 2021 fourth rounder? Not really. But this is just surprising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you switched a sixth and a fifth, no, a sixth and a seventh for Deshaun Jackson. Yeah. You said a fourth for Gerard Avery? Yeah, that, yeah, that didn't right. <laughs> and I think like, like, if you were cool with the four as the price tag, sure. But you made this one day before the deadline. And I don't really think that there were a ton of buyers. Now, NFL heads people what does that mean <laughs> like sneak sneaker heads well i'm just saying like the establishment will tell you okay that a 2021 fourth is basically like a 2025th in terms of how you value it right right 
why this has ever become a heuristic we use for draft pick evaluation (laughs) god only knows as if we can't as if we're not positive that next year is going to come yeah like listen like the world could end so it's the value like are you kidding me shut up especially when we don't know the records of that like that's yeah that's just weird yeah so like it's very peculiar to me but what i will say is this Mm. i would not be surprised if we because that's we got the 2021 fourth from mort uh, and then I think like Schefter or Rappaport like, confirmed or whatever. Like, I would not be surprised if we learned that it's a 2021 fifth that could become a fourth. I mean, that's what the Eagles like to do in these trades is what they did with Jordan Howard. Right. In terms of you, you add, uh, you improve the pick conditional on playing time. And that makes a lot of sense for Avery, who was a healthy scratch is now going to be playing. You tag him with, okay, if he plays at least 30% of the snaps, which if he is edged four, he will. Then it moves up to a fourth. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't be surprised if there's playing time and time to statue it. And that's why it would make sense to put it in 2021. It's not like the Eagles, the Eagles have a fifth this year because of the Michael Bennett trade. They have their own fourth this year. So it's not like you're like lacking for picks in 2020. So the only reason it makes sense for me to do it in 2021 is if that pick caliber is actually tagged to his 2019 and subsequent 2020 performance. Um so I my theory, which is unfounded. Um, but my theory is that we're going to learn that that pick is conditional on playing time. It could actually be later than the fourth. Sorry. Slam I'm always pens. fiddling when I'm talking. Yeah, slamming pens over here. I, I think this is interesting when, when you look at the, the depth for the Eagles at edge rusher. Of course, you have Graham, you have Barnett. And you also have Josh Sweat, who is flashed, looking solid this season. I like what I've seen from him. Deshaun Hall, you know, a winner of the Deshaun Hall of Fame Award for his preseason performance this year. And then Sharif Miller was a fourth round pick, only has two special team snaps. I mean, I'm not even even remotely ready to talk about Sharif Miller with the way this Eagles draft class has gone. The fact that nobody is criticizing, like like, people get on the J-Job pick and nobody's talking about the fact that Sharif Miller is just like already being replaced via trade. Yeah, I think it's a referendum. On him, and we we thought it was going to take yep. him more. We thought he should have stayed in school. Number one, we knew it right. was going to take him more than just the this, this offseason program to get his functional strength up and be ready to make a meaningful impact, even if it's just in a small mm-hmm. role. So that's the interesting part of it too. I do like Avery a, a, as a player, and I'm hopeful that this is going to work out for them. So we'll reserve judgment on whether this is a win or a loss for the Eagles until that kind of plays out. Uh, but let's transition. No, let's talk. No, okay. I have, so, I have, I have something I want to ask. Sorry. All right. Uh, very down. hard the transition there. Yeah. Derek Barnett, Brandon Graham, Benny Curry, Josh Sweat, Deshaun Hall, Gerard Avery. Forgot Curry, yeah. Sharif Miller, right? Okay, so you have seven edges. Mm. Your current rostered defensive tackles are Fletcher Cox, Timmy Jernigan. Is he healthy or is he not this upcoming week? Anthony Rush and Albert Huggins. Mm. Okay, so mm-hmm. right, fun, interesting. That's that's cute. You got seven edges, and you got three healthy defensive tackles, two of whom you signed off of practice squads this last week. Bruce Hector, who was your starter opposite Fletcher Cox, kind of in air quotes there, off, gone, you cut him. Huggins and Rush are going to be on the roster for at least the next two weeks because you signed them off other teams' practice squads. And if you sign a player off another team's practice squad, his roster spot is guaranteed for at least three weeks. That way you can't just sign a guy for a week and cut him the way the Eagles do with Hector. So either one, Timmy Jernigan's getting healthy, which I don't think is happening. Two... You're signing somebody else off the street. Or three, you're going in with either Huggins or Rush starting, Mm. which is like DEFCON 4. I don't care if it's the Bears. I don't care if it's just one week before the bye. That's scary. These were practice squatters somewhere else two weeks ago. If this is not the week that we just start playing three defensive end sets, like it's the base defense. I'm telling you. Vinny Curry's two. Vinny Curry's two hundred and seventy-five pounds. Okay, he's not a small human being. Yeah. Graham is two sixty something now. Deshaun, I think, is also 260-something. I don't remember. We got people, and they are big people. You you gotta, you have to be able, like, it just does not make sense to have Vinny Curry on the bench so you can play Anthony Rush. I don't care how bad Curry's been this year. And and, and again, if it means you lose a little in the running game, mm. it's mm. gonna be okay. Jim Schwartz is, right. is shaking his head at you. Right, so I just, I'm very interested to see how these snaps, <laughs> because the Eagles did not trade for a defensive tackle. On the deadline. Speaking of which, a trade for a defensive tackle did happen. The Giants, after this last offseason, they traded Snacks Harrison away for a fifth. They went ahead and traded a third and a fifth for the Jets defensive tackle Leonard Williams. The fifth can convert into a fourth if Williams signs a new deal with the Giants. Love something as much as Dave Gettleman loves defensive tackles. My favorite Dave Gettleman story, of which I have many. <laughs> Panthers. 
after their Super Bowl run, I believe, it may have been a season before, hmm. had starting on defensive tackle Kawan Short and star Lotu Lele. Mm-hmm. And they were definitely, they had extended Lotu Lele, mm-hmm. and they were definitely going to extend Short. Like, right. everybody knew it. And in the first round of the 2016 NFL Draft, they selected Vernon Butler, a mm. defensive tackle out of Louisiana Tech, who nobody really thought, from my memory, was like a lock first rounder, right? Nobody was like, yes, Vernon Butler, first round, calling it. Cool. In the post-draft presser, post-first round, Gettleman said uh, that he was so shocked that Vernon Butler fell to them that he just had to draft him (laughs) because he couldn't help, and I quote, this is a quote, I couldn't, he couldn't help his hog molly self. Right? Which, firstly, is dainty AF. That is hilarious and adorable. And then, secondly, says, like, it was, It felt like the situation where Don Terry Poe was almost following to us and wasn't able to. Like, and he didn't make it. There was, like, a like in one of Gettleman's previous drafts, like, he was about to draft Don Terry Poe when he also didn't need a defensive tackle because he was just surprised the dude was falling so far. So, really, like, he drafted Vernon Butler exclusively because he was shocked that Vernon Butler was still there. Right. And he couldn't help himself. Like, oh, I think this player is good. I'm surprised he's there. I'm going to draft him. So, yes, New York Giants have the best defensive tackle room in the country. Hooray. And they're also really bad. So, like, you know? Who cares? very peculiar. So that that fun story about Dave Gettleman out of the way. When we come back here on the Kiston Solak Show, we are going to do our weekly film review. This is on the uh, Buffalo Bills, Philadelphia Eagles, a 31-13 win for the Eagles. Getting right on the road, staying in things, keeping the hope alive. We'll break down what we saw on the coaches film when we come back. That's coming up next here on the Kiston Solak Show. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back here on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 140, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. Ben, real quick, before we get to the film review of this Eagles-Bills thing, and we're already kind of going a little bit long, but it has been revealed. There's a lot of news today, man. Yeah, the the Eagles are going to be the subject of the All or Nothing series, which they are not happy about because... Strike me down with a blunt instrument. 32 teams said no, and the NFL says, well... If everyone says no, then we're just going to pick one. And the Eagles got picked, and they are not happy about it. And this seems like a fascinating season to have that kind of access for the Eagles. Which, like, (laughs) this is awful. Right. It's bad. If we get audio of, like, I don't know. Darren Sproles being like, yo, Carson needs to throw the ball, check down simpler <laughs> offense. I'll, I'll be worth it, right? Oh, yeah. Like this, that one moment, which is like, what? <laughs> um, which, as I think I, I might have expressed on this podcast before, like, I don't watch any of these. I don't watch All or Nothing. I don't watch the Hard Knocks one. I'm perfectly happy with my ignorance of 
the inner workings of the football teams and the inner politics, and I'm not big on, like, reality. Like, we like the inner workings of, of, of the front office, but the stuff that they show you isn't indicative of anything. You're not, you're not learning anything. Coach is being like, this here's a play guys you know, like, i just like i don't know like you know it's not like, yeah cool you know what i mean right. i don't know it, it's it's a lot of like hoopla it's a lot of bells and whistles and that's yeah. not really my jam i cannot wait until we see something from some sort of interaction with carson where maybe he cuts off a, a, a like the the, the equivalent yeah. of cutting off a, a a person when you're driving without realizing you're doing it and then like the internet just like running wild with it just to you know as a metaphor well right there's just gonna be there's <laughs> gonna be so many conclusions drawn from nothing about like heavily produced and edited and scrubbed footage yeah. right like i wouldn't be surprised i think one of two things is gonna happen either one there's gonna be yeah a scene where like carson is at odds with a a teammate and because 99.9 percent of watchers have never been in a football locker room including myself yeah we're all gonna be like this is a huge deal and like x players gonna be like this happens every tuesday you know like it doesn't matter mm. or two carson's gonna come out smelling like an angel and there's gonna be five bajillion See, I told you the Philly voice report was wrong. Carson's a great leader. Watch all or nothing. It's like, no, because every instance of him being bad, which probably exists, they, the Eagles were like, don't put that in. Yeah. Because, you know, the Eagles have like that sort of a sway. And the producers in the league, like, you know, there's a ton of politics that goes through just what gets in and what gets cut and how it gets presented. So I like I, I don't I don't think there's going to be major takeaways. I do think like it will be entertaining to watch like Brandon Graham, who's hilarious. I just, yeah, I, I like, this is a thing that's happening, and I don't know. It's it's much more so, I don't know, it's not, it's not my speed. It's not my thing. Yeah. My thing, I, I'll be I'll be grinding the film like a true football fan. Speaking of grinding the film, uh, we, we, we ground some film in, the, in, in this little uh, span of the couple days. It, Game Pass was late getting things up. We got through it, and we have some takeaways of this Bills and Eagles game. Uh, ben, can, can I just start with Fletcher Cox, who uh, looked pretty doggone good and uh, healthy this game. Maybe we can start with first quarter, turn our books to 1354 in the first there, third and six. Don't tell me what to do. At the Buffalo 29. I will, and you will listen. This is the strip sack. It's a good play. Yeah, a really good play. And I, and I like what they what they did here, too. Number one, the linebacker here, you got Nick Gary. He's stepping in in front of the center here. Now, he's not going to come on a blitz. But what that causes is that center cannot slide towards Cox to his right. And they've got Brandon Graham kicked in to the left as well, which I like that that matchup there. But this means that Fletcher Cox is one-on-one in, a, in an obvious passing situation. That is a win. And he just, just rips through this thing to Josh Allen, who's... Look at his feet. <laughs> What's going on with Josh Allen here? Because he's waiting for something. Here's the other interesting part, right? So they don't they don't bring a blitz, but what they do do to kind of slow down the process of Allen here is they press. Right? They pressed more in this game than they had in a bit. They got hands on, and they're like, if, if Allen has time for this to develop, like. Sidney Jones kind of slips at, at the top, like it's super late in the route, but he kind of slips at the top here, like maybe there's a throw here. But there is no throw here early for Allen, which gives the pass rush time to get home. So the press absolutely works. You've got Nate Gary sinking underneath the inside route from the from the bottom where uh, Darby is in coverage. Sandejo does a really good job scraping over top of traffic to get to his assignment. This is just good coverage. It's a good call. They got one-on-one matchups where they wanted them, and Fla- uh, you know Fletch went and made a play. And I thought overall, like brother, you get, like shortly after that on a third and one, he got in on a run stuff. Fourth quarter, he split a sack with Barnett where the where Allen fumbled. He had four pressures, two hits, one and a half sacks, two run stops according to PFF on the day. I thought it was a, a great game for Fletch, and I really like this uh, this early third down rep, both schematically and execution wise from the Eagles. I agree. I think that it was a good day for. I think Fletch is healthier, right? I think yep. like the tight the tightness of the angle here that he takes is something that you didn't see him doing earlier in the in the year i do also think that like people were like oh good brandon graham gay day i and i was like a little apprehensive of that and watching it again i think i'm still a little apprehensive of that i think he had good hustle plays and i think he had like you know good like you know clean up sort of plays when josh yeah. allen was kind of breaking the pocket and doing stuff but mm-hmm. graham has not been super strong so far this year um which i think is a little bit of a of a concern no th- this this was a, a game where fletch was the primary disruptor which is how it typically is for philadelphia one player who i did have a strong opinion about post game who i should slightly amend my opinion of is <sighs> nate gary <gasps> who had his best game in a while in that it was just regular bad. You didn't notice him taking some terrible, terrible angles at, at but points? But Mike, and... 
he actually like ha- he was in man coverage successfully on a running back like three times, which is three more than the average game. Is all I'm saying. That's true. Right. That's true. I mean, we're still like if we you know we if we want to get fun with it, like we can <laughs> still go to you know quarter two, whatever it is, like 14 minutes in, <laughs> third and 14. You, you had that queued up quick. Let's yeah, go. well, I do want to, well, right, because here's the thing is like they, the Bills run a nice, you know, a set of crossers and there's a lot of breakers going hither and thither and so it's confusing. Gary gets put in a, in a tough spot because of the read that's made by Malcolm Jenkins. Yeah. Jenkins is sitting in a weak zone and, and he passes off the crosser to Gary, which is right, but right as he's passing it off, Allen breaks towards Gary's side and so Gary's thinking that Jenkins is going to be with him, and Jenkins isn't, because Jenkins was expecting Allen to stay in the pocket. So Gary gets a little screwed there. Also, fun fact, if Gary had just stayed on his pass responsibility, Anderson Dejo eats turf again. Can this dude not change direction? In coverage on, I believe, Tyler Croft? (laughs) A lot of slipping on this one, yeah. Yeah, I was like, you know, field was slick. But anyway, Sandejo would have got... Sandejo would have been given up a pass touchdown here as well. True. So it's not even like Gary, you know, this was a seven-point swing. This was going to be seven either way. Right, right, he right. looks like an idiot on the TV copy. And so, like, there are some plays where, like, I was like, you know, like, like when I saw this play, I was like, Gary literally gave up a touchdown. I still don't think he made the right choice in terms of how to play this, but this was going to be a touchdown because no, Sandejo's on the floor. It's it. We already talked about Jones slipping. We had Sandejo slipping on this rep too. If you look at the end zone angle, Barnett goes down super easy well, and he slips as well. But this is this is a pretty regular occurrence for Barnett. So when he tries to rush with tilt, he eats it pretty often. You know what I mean? Like that, like... I'm just saying this is a lot easier than in other cases because a lot of times, yeah, you're right. If you get hands on his shoulder, he, he eats it. Yeah. So, right. So the, that's my, like, you know, there's a little bit of, I think, a... Uh, concession to be had for gary who did he have like the best game among you know what we expect from linebackers no i still think he's a bet i still think Camus is a measurably better player who just isn't playing football and i could not tell you why but this was a game where like a lot of the the stuff that as we typically make fun of him for mm. he uh i think he, he deserves a, a little bit of my apologies and a little bit of mercy uh for what he did i do also want to ask you did you watch the uh the third and 14 third and eight third and 14 drive i mean i wanted to talk about the touchdown play at the very least because i'm wondering whose man's is this <laughs> right yeah coverage. we can start there you bring us you bring us six guys sorry third and 13 944 ball is on the 28 yard line yeah now what you're gonna see happen the eagles are gonna rush six and five are gonna go into the concept all right if five are going to the concept it means there's five in protection right which means that you're Really, in my head, your first thought should be this ball is coming out hot. And it has to. Nate Gary comes free up the A-gap. This is a a hit to Allen unless Allen can get it to his first read. The problem is, is that this is a very clear read for Allen. And it's because of the way the, 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 the route coverage is distributed. Initially at the snap, there's a bunch to the left. And the receivers switch their release. And what this does is it tell it Sidney Jones pushes the... Uh, coverage to Rasul Douglas, right? Uh-huh. So Rasul, you're taking the first outside guy. I'll take the first inside guy. And when they switch, those peoples, you know, switch. The outside receiver becomes inside and the inside receiver becomes outside. So Sydney passes it off and he bails straight down the middle of the field. Okay. Malcolm Jenkins comes to the middle of the field to rob the tight end crosser. Cool. Up at the top of the screen, mm. Andrew Sandejo <laughs> and Jalen Mills. Oh, excuse me. not Yeah, Jalen Mills. No, that's Darby. Is that Darby? Mm-hmm. It's Darby take the exact same player yeah like looking at these rules and like how the players read them i've been trying for a while to figure out who's responsible for the running back and i just don't think anyone is like they were expecting him to stay in to block right like we're gonna or, send somebody he's gonna have to stay in blitz right. the blitz the running back right or the theory was eh, if they throw it to the back we can rally. rally and tackle yeah right which just goes back to the point of like you have five guys covering five guys. Where do you think the ball's coming hot? But Like, you have five covering five, and you can't figure out Jim Schwartz or execute secondary rules to get a man on a man? That's wild. Like, it took, it, it, all it took was switch releases mm. from, this, from the slots, and you're broken? And you're done. This goes, this, goes, right, this goes back to, like, Schwartz is always in cover three, and it's annoying. He when he tries to do something else, just, either on the chalkboard, it doesn't like. And again, again, this is the thing is like I'm trying to figure out what's supposed to happen here, and I just can't. Either on the chalkboard, 
it doesn't make sense. And that's why the players are screwed. Or his players just can't execute. Yeah. Right? They, they can't execute anything besides cover three, in which case you're screwed either way, right? Like, it doesn't matter from what end, if you'll forgive, like, the rather, you know, dirty pun, but, like, you're screwed from both ends. Yeah. There's nothing you can do here. And so, like, I would love for someone to ask about this play. And just be like, who was supposed to have the running back? Because... Pretty quickly, Jank and Sidney Jones realize, like, aha, no one is uh, is outside, <laughs> and that's an issue. That's a problem. I also wonder if, like, you you have you have two outside rushers, right? You have Jank is rushing from the outside from one side, and you have Josh Sweat from the outside the other side. Do these guys have check release to the running back? Like, is Jenkins checked to the running back? That's what that's I'm my only thought. Too. Is that whoever the running back side releases to, if the running back releases into the flat, you carry him. And that's how you take away the hunt. It's just, I don't get it. Jenkins looks like he has zero interest in watching the running back release, so I don't even know if that's true. This play is so confounding. Right. And Sinny and Sewell are reading the wide receivers, yeah. and initially at the snap, uh, Ronnie McLeod opens to the weak side. He's reading the two, the weak receivers. That's... Like, nobody even looks at the running back once. Like, how is that even possible? It's third and 13. You're sending six. Nobody wants to check the back? I don't oh. know, man. Funny, funny part about this play, too. Watch Barnett. Just scroll through Barnett. <laughs> Watch how easily he gets tossed. Yeah, but again, like, you know, this is not and this is not an irregular. He's like trying to corner. Just, Whatever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's funny. But, but um, dude, yeah. Remember, this is the drive that I talked about in the recap show where the Eagles put the Bills in first and 20, second and 20, third and 14. They also had a second and 10, a third and eight, a second and 13, and a third and 13, and they gave up a touchdown. But, you know, they. I mean, I guess they came through when they needed to and caused yeah. some turnovers, which is great now what's important i think to like you know like they give a touchdown third or 14 and the thing is like that's so hard to do right like how do you even that's so difficult to give up multiple third and seven pluses in a drive right, right. the fourth and ten which became a uh a, a pbu from ronald darby it's third quarter 138 yeah you, do you think the wind gets a hold of this ball but go ahead continue. no i think josh allen's bad okay that's what i thought too <laughs> Right, Go ahead. because trajectory-wise, this ball is always behind. Yeah, that's true. The Eagles, so this is fourth and ten. The Eagles have four rushers on the line. Everybody's kind of in like a stand-up, loose set. Maybe they're coming, maybe they're not, and they only send four. They have press coverage on slot receivers. Uh, they exchange a tight end beautifully. Mm-hmm. Jenkins carrying a tight end, uh, deep crosser, and the safety comes to help him out, which opens up the middle of the field. John Brown one on one against Ronald Darby on a post, which is like death yeah. for the Eagles. Right. This John Brown pretty easily separates from Darby. Um, he has a clear throwing window. If this ball is delivered uh, ahead of brown this is a touchdown yeah and so the eagles would have gotten third and 14 fourth and 10 in the near red zone on two separate drives and given up two touchdowns Allen completely misses this throw right and thank god for that because the eagles win the football game yep but this goes to show that like if you want the eagles defense to make game impacting plays they have to play a caliber of quarterback of josh allen who's going to give multiple fumbles Mm mm-hmm Who's going to miss fourth and 10 one on one open, you know, middle of the field windows for a touchdown? Should be money. And they're playing a Josh Allen caliber quarterback and Mitchell Trubisky next week. And then after that, they're playing Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott for their season. Yeah. Until you come up with a solution by which these throws don't open, you're going to lose to those quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. You can't do the trade solution. That's gone now. Mm. Yeah, I, like either, you know, if Darby's not at 100%, he's got to get back to 100%. If Jalen Mills not at 100%, he's got to get to 100%. If Avade Maddox is going to be a lockdown slot guy, then he's got to get to 100%. He's got to get there. You know, if you don't have corners who can play man coverage in this league, you're going to lose football games. Eagles don't really have the ability to play man coverage right now. I have the same amount of faith in this defense than I had before this game. This game did right. nothing for me. Windy game. Right. They give up 13 points to the Bills, and it still doesn't feel like that grave an outing. I mean, the Bills had an inept offense anyway. The Bills weren't scoring on anyone. And we knew Josh Allen's limitations. They became worse when the when the wind became a factor. And the guy fumbled a lot. Yippee. That's that's great. Uh, like I said, the best positive takeaway is, hey, Fletch looks healthy. Like, that's it for me when it comes to that. So we'll see that, like you said, the test, and this is for the team as well, but the real test come after the bye. Uh, let's switch side to the offense. I really thought Doug Peterson and company schemed up a brilliant game. Fantastic, fantastic game. 
uh, dealing with the limitations that that they had with the wind and and, and all that stuff. For instance, like the, the the sequencing. Let's go to second quarter, thirteen thirty nine, second and sixteen. This is Mike. Stop being so bossy. This is two consecutive plays. Now, what I like about this, and, and we'll, we'll go through the first one pretty quickly here, is they've got the look of a swing screen because Jordan Howard's going to come from his left running back position to his right, behind Wentz in motion, and you're going to give a swing screen type of look. You're going to come back to Dallas Goddard on a tight end screen where you've got Sayamalu and Dillard out there in space as blockers. This picks up good yards. This picks up 10 yards. Could have been more, really. Uh, Nice play by, I believe that's Milano. Yeah, Milano makes a, a good tackle on this, fighting off a block. So that sets up third and six. Now what you're going to get here is a similar look with Miles Sanders coming across. Now, the interesting part of this, this pre-snap here, right? Miles Sanders is on the, the bottom of the screen here. He's the outside wide receiver. Matt Milano comes out to greet him. They motion Sanders back inside. Milano follows him. This is a man indicator. This is giving your quarterback information before the snap. So they're going to clear out as Sanders comes from left to right behind Wentz, again, giving another swing look. They clear out that action. This is an impossible assignment for Matt Milano to get across all of this traffic and then out to Sanders. And it's just an easy, easy conversion. I really like the way they changed up their looks. They gave Wentz information. They did all this stuff with the short passing game. The screen game was bumping. I mean, we can talk about the the quarter one, 523, second and 10. That's the Sanders 25-yard screen where they had, what, one person within a 20 by 20 yard square that was a defender, and you've got two offensive linemen out there in space, and Sanders does the rest and makes people miss. This was a really, really good screen uh, screen game, and then the stuff they worked off of the screen game as well I thought was was awesome, like the fake shield screen that we talked about that created space for Dallas Goddard to operate. Like a lot of a lot of good different things came from this game, and and I was encouraged by the play calling from uh, from the Eagles. Yeah, actually, to that point, the third and four Nelson Aguilar wing T inside handoff that Milano came on a blitz on. Yeah, guess what? If the Bills aren't blitzing Milano, this goes for. 15 yards. I'm telling you, man. The I'm Bills just you. blitzed into it, which is just like, it just lucky. happens. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It just happens. <laughs> but if you, like, and, and, and I'm, I'm curious for your thought on this. Either Lane initially just doesn't, like, take his footwork great, or this is a designed A-gap run. This is between Sayamalo and Kelsey into the, the weak side A-gap. Because in Lane's initial footwork, it looks like he's going to come and he's going to be climbing into the into the A-gap to yeah. seal off the weak side linebacker, given how hard he steps up field. But because Ed Oliver is stunting into the A-gap, Sayamalo has to carry him, take him where he wants to go. Um, which means that Lane has to try to reset to get into the B-gap to get the blitzing Milano, which is a really tough ask. And, like, if Lane can't do it, there isn't an athlete at right tackle who can do it. And, uh, accordingly, it's a tackle behind the line of scrimmage. Right. But Kelsey's got a perfect angle on Tremaine Edmonds, who's yep. over-pursued. Um, you know, and, and he, like, reads the, the polar nicely and everything like that. But if they're able to get Aguilar upfield and seal off that A-gap, I mean, this is Aguilar in a foot race against Jordan Poyer, which, like, Poyer will get him down, but it's a first down in some. Yeah, Poyer is also coming the opposite direction following Howard, too. Like, I think you're right. I, I think there's right. an A-gap, and then, like, if if Milano isn't firing his gun and blitzing, right. Lane gets to him in space, and there is a huge alley. Even if this is just, like, Oliver stunting inside and he right. gets it. Mm-hmm. If Milano's not coming downhill at the snap, regardless of what happens, and that's why Edmonds is moving so hard weak side. It's because mm. he's responsible for, Ed, for, for Milano's uh, zone. He's responsible for weak hook. Yeah. Milano blitz into this. The Bills got a good blitz call to a third and four run, which, like... Part of the the danger of running on third and four is like sometimes you get a bad blitz call and you lose it. it sucks. Yeah, you know. And so like you know, if you, people still feel like Philadelphia's a little bit too run heavy, and this is part of the reason why. Okay, um, but I'm just saying like you know, what was that design? It was good design, and it you know this was uh they 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 had pretty much everything they wanted on this one in terms of how the Bills defense reacted to it. Just that blitz, you know, caught him the wrong way. And that's cookie crumple sometimes. You know what I mean? You get back and you, you try to drive down the field. That's the second, that's the second, third and four in a row that was a run that probably should have worked. Like if we're really right, thinking exactly, about which it. Like, <laughs> right. And like one is execution, right? Miles Sanders needs to be able to get up field. Uh, and then and, and understand when an A-gap run has now become a B-gap run because of adjustments that you need to make. And then number two... You, you need to, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's, it's the chaos of the game, right? It's just yeah. the, the way these things go sometimes. Now, what I will say, I have a takeaway that I feel is pretty strong. Hmm. I think Carson has absolutely no trust in Mac Collins at all. 
And like we've been talking about the fact that Hollins has taken 140 snaps or whatever and like has no receptions. But remember, like he got a couple targets. I think it was in Green Bay and he was getting called for OPIs. That might have been Dallas. I can't remember now. But I mean, like if you want to go fourth quarter, 1308. I was just I was, I was yeah. going to try to predict the play because I know exactly what you're talking about. Hollins is open on this, brother. Hollins <laughs> is not only open. He's the primary read and right. he's going to be open the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like the second you see, I believe this is Teron Johnson in coverage. Mm. The second you see Hollins is, is inside slot. And he's is just, again, third and five, and he's running a 10-yard out cut. You know what I mean? This is just pretty simple out. Uh, there's a, a, a nine route to the outside. There's a swing route behind him. There's a crosser coming from across the formation. Eagles did this a lot against Buffalo, by the way. Four receiver floods. Very willing, because Carson can sling it into tight windows, to flood a side of the field, not with three receivers, but with four. Mm-hmm. If you're running a traditional zone against a four-receiver route concept, somebody's open. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. hopefully it's, it's too many bodies. So... Hollins initially stems inside exactly the way you'd like for him to do it, right? If the corner's between you and where you want him to go, take him somewhere take else. Him. Corner's initially going to play with outside leverage. So Hollins is going to stem inside, invite that corner to come inside with him. Then he gets a hand, uh, he gets his hand around the corner, you know, rips through with the arm, plants his foot, turns, flattens, and squares. This is money. Yep. This, is, this is exactly what you'd like to see from Mac Hollins on a tape perspective. Carson, who has a little bit of pressure in his face, yes, okay, <laughs> takes one look at you know, the bailing open. linebacker and yeah. Mac Collins, who has not yet won the route, but is about to win the route. Going and says, to. Yeah. Like, but look at look at the positioning of, of of Hollins when he decides to take off. He is sitting behind the DB here. Yeah, this is going to open up for sure. If this is Alshon or Ertz, yeah, just throw Carson it. needs about one third of a window of this size to throw this ball. <laughs> this ball would be out in a heartbeat. He's taking this hit and he's sending it. It's Hollins. He no, nah, I'm not interested. Right. So why is Hollins not getting targeted? Number one, it's not that good. But number two, I don't think he's done anything to merit the trust of Carson Wentz. He was a rookie who barely saw playing time their first year together, 2017. 2018, Carson is out for most of the season, and Hollins is out for almost the whole season. 2019 now, Hollins is thrust into an expanded role, and whether it was those early OPIs that really burned him for Carson or whatever it was, I mean, Carson just does not seem interested in throwing Hollins the football to me. Those reps where Hollins should get open and he doesn't and Carson wants to throw it to him and he can't but then there's reps like these where Holland simply this is this is exactly how you want to be on the chalkboard and the quarterback just doesn't want to throw it to that player Carson converted 13 yard scramble like all all of that's great but I I 100% agree like that that's an easy money reception right there but we often complain about well Carson can't hand him the freaking ball because the Eagles are so bad when it comes to drops this year he's just like you know what bud Mm mm-hmm I am taken off with this thing. And I mean, and other times too, where, where Carson scrambled, I thought were really good decisions, like uh, on the screen one where he pulls it down because there's a guy about to come right in the lane. I thought that was uh, really good from Carson. But yeah, that, I mean, there's definitely some trust issues going on with Carson and some of the ancillary, we'll call them receivers for the Eagles. So he decided to take things in his own hands here. Anything else you wanted to talk about from a, from an X and O perspective, maybe a specific play? I mean, we talked about the lead ISO with the 21 personnel, the 65-yard touchdown. Yeah, we Sanders. had that off the, the broadcast because they showed it a bunch of times. So. The fake shield screen was was really nice because it played off a lot of their looks from the Vikings game that I thought were looking too predictable and the way that it created space and flow. That was really nice. Just like overall, man, just nice game from the Eagles. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that my last point that I'm curious of, oh, the Eagles just signed Bruce Hector to the practice squad. They cut Jenny Harris on the practice squad. <laughs> Bruce Hector, brother. Big ups, Welcome Bruce. Back. <laughs> Elevate him by Friday. Anyway, right. So I think one of my main, uh, the, the offensive line was bananas. Played a really good yeah. ball game. Brandon Brooks, once again, is probably playing better than anybody else right now. And Kelsey's playing really good. But Brooks is just like huge, dude. Brooks is another level, man. Yes, yeah, so he's, he's playing really well. The Eagles, what they do in terms of the variety of their running game really is fascinating, right? And like, there are, I would argue there's probably few, if any, offensive lines in the league that are asked to do as many on-site adjustments, at least what I understand to be on-site adjustments, uh, as the Eagles are in the running game, where, 
okay, you know what I mean? We're going to line up and depending on how the defense lines up, if there's a, if, you know, if this gap is closed, we're going to run it like this. And if this gap is open, we're going to run it like that. And the tight end is going to fill. Like I just said with the lane play, right? Like, you know, like lane was coming a gap and then he had a bounce B gap because there was a spike inside. Like they really, they, they do that a lot with when they pull with their center. It, it could be the center guard or tackler pulling. There could be two of those guys. They, they read a lot of that stuff. Right. When they fill with their tight ends and like, yeah. you know, the, the, uh, Boston Scott TD, I want to say, was like a split zone look and whatever. So there's there's a ton of that stuff, which is fun and it's cool. Okay. They introduce new concepts like every single day. And it's really exciting. The one thing that I can't shake that I think they're saving for like either playoff time or, oh, snap, we need a shot in the arm playoff time. You know, like regular season, but we got to keep pace with Dallas time. Zone read from Carson's got to start getting somewhere in here, right? Right. I mean, well, I'm just saying, like, yeah. you have a very dynamic RPO game, and you have a highly variable, interesting, confusing run game, both from gun and from and from under center. Even if it's even if it's not just him, like keeping it on like a designed run, I feel like they could do more stuff with rolling him him out. Well, I've already decided that I've lost the battle on getting Carson outside. <laughs> like, just, they just don't do it enough for me, and whatever, it's fine. Yeah. Right, right but like, I, like you know, that's half a joke, but it's half not. You know what I mean? Like, if mm-hmm. you, you know, like, like they they roll him out a decent amount, and 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 he takes himself naturally out. Like he had the, uh, you know, like like in the on the fourth quarter drive, yeah. a lot of those plays that were, uh, you know, they're trying to eat clock. They rolled him out so that he had the option, as he did, like, on the screenplay, to tuck and go, right? And they half-roll him a lot, too, where, like, you know, he's outside of the tackle box, but he's still, like, comfortably behind the line. Um, Regardless, Carson very naturally chooses to run and scramble with the ball, what, at least four times a game? And I get the whole, like, protect him thing, right, because of health and stuff. Like, I'm there. This is a dimension of your running game that I think very naturally extends from what you're doing right now, which is constantly introducing new ideas that are not being put on film. Split back lead ISO. Like there's that's nowhere <laughs> on the Eagles film and it goes for a 65 yard touchdown. Yeah. Carson keeping it. And like when you get like, like, for example, the Nelson Aguilar run was tagged with was made to look like speed option with Jordan Howard speed option with Miles Sanders out of nowhere against the Seahawks in week 11, it's going to go for 20. Hmm. As a as a defense, it is awful to spend the whole week preparing for a certain thing and then all of a sudden start getting option looks like, and re-getting back into your option fits and making sure that you and the guy behind you are in sequence and the safety knows how to fill. Like, it's just a nightmare. So to me, like, designed Carson runs. We just played the Bills. just watched a lot of design runs. And Carson's a much better passer than Allen. So obviously he's a passer first. But design quarterback runs with Carson are untapped, an untapped market right now for Philadelphia. And I'd like to see them incorporate them more moving forward. And I think that they will. Yeah. But I do think that they're trying to hold it for as long as they can. Keep inviting some new spicy things, man. That was, that was, that was some good stuff on the, on this film viewing. I definitely, I felt like at, at times this season, I think we felt that the offense got bland and that they were out of ideas. I think this is, this is a change in that. It's a move in the right direction. We'll see if it continues that way. A couple of tweets that I want to get to before we get out of here. First of all, Jamal Adams, who was not traded today, but definitely shocked, tweeted that, quote, at the end of last week, I sat down with the GM and coach Gase and told them I want to be here in New York. I was told yesterday by my agent that the GM then went behind my back and shot me around to teams. Oh! Joseph! Even Joseph, after, brother! Even after I asked no, him... No, 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 man, that's not how you start. Oh, no, honey. Even after I asked him to keep me here, crazy business, unquote. So, oh. uh, wow. Joe Douglas, get in the shade. Yo, Joey D. John Clark of NBCS says, Sources tell me Deshaun Jackson worked out with an Eagles quarterback and was able to run routes yesterday at the Novacare Complex for the first time since suffering his core muscle injury. Wow, Deshaun Jackson working out with Nick Foles. Sources Replacing tell me. Replacing Carson Wentz. Shut up, Ben. <laughs> and Eagles quarterback? Come on. Who do we think yeah. it was? He's out there with, with Nate Sudfeld? Sources tell me Deshaun's goal is to return Sunday, unquote. Oof. Getting him back for the for the Bears game before the bye. Yeah, we're gonna pull a Drew, we're gonna pull a Drew Brees and put him out there at eighty five percent to beat the Cardinals. Do the do the the Cole McDonald thing. Have someone dress up as Deshaun Jackson before the game, make it look like he's playing, and then it's 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 not actually him, and, and don't don't right. play him. Remember, Just put you, Matt Collins out there wearing a ten. He used to wear it. I mean, they don't. There's a lot of different things that look different about them. I'm just saying it would be the <laughs> best usage of of Matt Collins we gotten so far in the month of October. <laughs> I think it's just a little bit of a stretch. By the way. 
the arm sleeve analytics for Ertz and Goddard. We figured it out. We cracked the code. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, you. but I thought they changed it this game. No, Goddard was only wearing long sleeves before the game. He took it off. Wow. Zach caught him in the locker room and said, what the f*** you think you're doing, young blood? <laughs> Don't know who you think's running it. I do. We coordinate here in this building. On Wednesdays, we wear pink. So here's what we figured out. This year, at least, Zach Ertz wears a sleeve on his left arm. Dallas Goddard wears a sleeve on his right arm. This has not changed the season at all. And sometimes they do the fusion dance and both wear sleeves. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> week one, they both wore black. Week two, white. Week three, black. Week four, white. Week five, black. Week six, white. Week seven, black. This means against the Bears, they're going to be going white. White sleeves. White sleeves. Zach Ertz on the left, Dallas on the right. And now Mike's tweeting is obsolete. I cracked the code. Ah, well done. You, they're going to switch it up. And now that they've learned that we're doing this, they're coming up with a plan in the locker room. I just can't believe I've devoted this much time to figuring this out. But at least we have a solid pattern to work off of. The bye was going to throw it all akimbo, but whatever. Ben, that's enough for today. Once we start getting into arm sleeve analytics, why don't you say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners? The trade deadline came and went with hardly a burp, but that's okay. Eagles getting Deshaun back. Eagles getting Nigel Bradham back. They're getting Timmy Jernigan back. They're getting Asante Samuel back. Brian Dawkins is coming back. They're getting Trent Cole back. It's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> defense is going to be unbelievable. They are getting Trent Cole back. Jannard Avery wearing 58. Do we have an opinion on this? Jannard like Avery that. is apparently wearing 58, which, like, yes, is an objectively great edge rusher number. But if you're going to be small and feisty and coming off the edge wearing 58 in Philadelphia, yeah. you better, <laughs> brother. The, the bar has been set high. That's a dangerous game. Set. Yeah, right. Trent Cole is one of my favorite edge rushers to watch throughout the years. Right. That's amazing. He, if he, if oh. he actually gets a sack. Give me a flash. Right. Listen, if he, but if he actually gets out a sack and then pulls out the celebration in honor of Trent Cole. Was the Axeman Trent Cole? I feel like it was, right? Oh, Jeremiah Trotter was the Axeman. Jeremiah Trotter. See, what I was talking about, I was like, I'm not sure Cole was actually the Axeman. It was Trotter at that time. Yeah, Cole, Cole, does the, uh, Cole does the bow. Oh, is he the hunter or whatever? Yeah, the bow and arrow. I don't know if they call him the, I don't. I can't remember if they call him the hammer but or the, the hunter. The hunter but, or yeah, something like that. Yeah. Trotter would always come with the, the, the big old sledgehammer. Right, because Cole, Cole loves, right, Cole loves, like, actual hunting hunting. Like, yeah, he yeah, actually yeah. likes to hunt things. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Goodbye, podcast. <laughs> uh Thank you for listening. We talked about the Bills. Eagles offense was good. Eagles defense played. They have the Bears coming up. We're going to be talking about that game over the remaining three days. And then it's the bye week. Uh, And bye week plans are currently being made. We're trying to get Mike some time off for sure. Um, But you will have, of course, still content coming from us from the next two weeks following the bye as well. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's KST. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to the podcast. Subscribe because it's a really good show. Rate because you love us. Say nice things about us in the reviews. Goodbye. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. You see, I came with a hammer on that we all we got. Came with it. Hit you with it. Good show. That's how good I. That's how good I felt about this show. I brought the hammer with it. You gotta do the boat. Like back me up a little bit. Do the boat thing. Just sitting there doing nothing. Just worthless co-host. Unbelievable. Let me die out here. Just. <laughs> Dang it! I didn't want to laugh. Okay. <laughs> P G N.